Welcome back, everybody, to Exploring Faith, Pursuing Grace. My name is Daniel Rogers, and you are listening to Solo Episode 14, which is called Reading the Bible as a Book or Books. Some thoughts on how we read the Bible. If you're listening to this podcast, the chances are that you've experienced some kind of paradigm shift, either in Church of Christ issues or eschatology, or if you're like me, then both. But regardless of what that shift might be or might not be, you're listening to this podcast because you are interested in learning how to read the Bible. The truth is that we're always learning, but when we have huge moments of clarity, when it seems like the whole world is new and fresh and exciting, we quickly realize how this new worldview may affect our reading of the Bible. This is scary for a few reasons, but rewarding, I think, for many. Hey, by the way, this topic came from someone on the Exploring Faith, Pursuing Grace discussion board. So if you want to write, uh, if you want me to write on a question you have or do a podcast on a question you have, message me, leave a comment or put something on the discussion board and I'll try to get to it when I can. First, let's talk about why studying the Bible is scary. (laughs) Before we talk about how to read the Bible, I think it's important to validate what you're feeling right now, or maybe something that you felt in the past. That is, why reading the Bible can sometimes be scary when you're going through one of these changes. First, you might ask the question, what else could I have wrong? When I first started changing my mind on eschatology, one of the first questions that came to my mind once the excitement began to die down was how this new way of reading scripture might affect other areas of my life. What about baptism? What about instrumental music? What about the Lord's Supper? These questions flooded my mind all at once, and I went into a bit of a panic. My tradition puts so much stock into having the right answers. Having the wrong answers means expulsion from the community and, of course, eternal conscious torment. So even if you have dropped a lot of that kind of black and white or either-or kind of thinking, it's still natural that you flinch a bit when faced with the potential of changing something else. Another question you might ask is, who might have I needlessly hurt? I don't know about you, but when I started to realize that I might be wrong about how I interpreted the Bible, I thought about all those I had hurt by condemning them or excluding them in the past. I think about the Easter egg hunt invitations I rejected as a kid uh, because I thought that that church was going to hell. Uh, and the tear-filled Bible studies I had with vulnerable college students. As some have said in the past, if a person truly believes their friend is going to be hit by a bus, the only loving option they have is to push them out of the way. But what happens when you realize the bus isn't coming? That's a scary thought. It can be easier to ignore the questions than to risk owning up to past mistakes and possibly being alienated yourself for communing with those who are deemed undesirable by your old tribe. Uh, shout out to any Harry Potter fans out there. Undesirable. Yeah. All right. Another question you might have when you start to reread the Bible is this very scary question of who will take me? One other understandable reason you might be afraid of reading the Bible after having a major paradigm shift is the fear of rejection. Well, I've already mentioned this aspect in both of these little subsections. I think it's important to point out uh, more you know, specifically. We want to be included, especially by those closest to us. And what closer bond is there than that which is fused together by a common faith? 
So knowing that rereading the Bible will lead you to changing your mind on something, because once you see, you can't unsee, then the safest, quote unquote, thing to do might be to ignore the urge to go through the motions. Uh, might, might be to ignore the urge, sorry, and go through the motions. If you're in ministry, this might mean preaching through passages that don't touch on controversial issues. If you're a Bible class teacher, you might read troubling passages very quickly. Have you ever heard somebody do that? <laughs> they just get through it quick. Or you may never even study particular subjects at all. I have a friend on a similar note. Uh, he's very careful with what he reads. If he comes across something that he might, that he thinks might, uh, that he might not be able to handle in the moment, you know, he'll put it to the side for now. And I think that's okay. Uh, another aspect of this, and the reason behind my friend's pickiness, is that you may realize that the subjects that you have this sort of nudge to study, or you may suspect to be waiting for you if you launch into another reading of the Bible, may not be a gospel issue. That is. Even though your tribe may kick you out over a different opinion, it doesn't really affect the core gospel in your mind, so you might ask the question, why even bother? I write all of this to let you know that I understand and affirm your hesitancy. We are to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus, but this means following him in his prudence. After all, he did tell his disciples that there were things he wanted to tell them, but they couldn't quite bear it yet. The fear may be like the fear of jumping off a diving board at the start of summer, the sign of something fun, exhilarating, and refreshing. But that fear that you're feeling may also be your gut telling you to slow down, and it's hard to discern between the two. But deciding too quickly may close doors that otherwise might be open down the road. But of course, hesitating too much may close doors that are open now. And if you figure out how to tell the difference between uh, those two feelings, Oh, then please, please let me know. Okay, let's get into uh, reading the Bible versus interpreting the Bible. So I know it's impossible to read without interpreting. Like as you're reading, you're going to be interpreting the Bible. But let me clarify what I mean. And it may already be obvious to you. Sometimes I'll read through a passage, and while I may make a note or underline here or there, I don't spend too much time meditating on any particular verse or cluster of verses. But when I study, which may have been a better word, but we're already three sentences in, and if I, f I, I focus more on grammar, I look up the words, I check out other translations, consult different resources like commentaries and scripture indexes and topical books, uh, and maybe even phone a friend, <laughs> right? So let's break down these two ways of digesting scripture into two sections. Reading. I think that reading the Bible is just as important as studying it. When we study the Bible, we really treat it like an object, right? That is, we are the subject. It is the object, and it is our job to master it. Like an archaeologist at a work site, we use a little bit of muscle to press the shovel into the text to search for truth. And like an archaeologist, we have an educated guess of what we might find before we even start digging. But unlike archaeology, which can only work with uh, what it finds or doesn't find, we are very good at taking whatever we find and twisting it to fit our predetermined conclusions. Reading the Bible as a sacred, divinely inspired text, however, treats the Bible like a subject. Instead of us working on it, we allow ourselves to be open to it working on us as we read. We approach the Bible as a God-breathed book, 
And while we may not understand everything as we read, we trust in the Spirit working within the text to breathe life into us. Meditating on passages like in, oh, I always butcher the translation, uh, Lex, Lexio Divina, Divina, oh, yeah, that's it, right? I think I did okay there, yeah, Lexio Divina, yeah. Or journaling through a particular text is a good place to start. Or you can ask a friend in real life, or perhaps in the Exploring Faith Pursuing Grace discussion board on Facebook to read through a book of the Bible with you. Reading the Bible as a spiritual practice is something that's been beneficial to me recently. Personally, I like picking out a new translation, grabbing one of those multicolored pens. You know, it's got like the white on top and the blue on the bottom, and there's four different colors. Uh, and I use that to note similar themes or words throughout the book. And then I read through an entire book of the Bible in one sitting. Now, not everybody can do that, right? So you need to find what works for you. Interpreting. Intentionally and methodically interpreting scripture, which is called hermeneutics, is important as well. Not only do we want to know what the Bible means, we also want to know what it doesn't mean. That is, if an interpretation of the Bible is harmful or seems contrary to the way of Jesus, then being able to explain why, uh, to be able to explain why is an act of justice, and it's our duty as believers and followers of the way. There are some tools that will help us during the process, and most of them, if not all of them, can be found for free. While some think that reading the Bible with just a concordance and a Thayer's lexicon is the way to go, the fatal flaw in this plan is that just using a concordance and a lexicon doesn't get rid of our humanity. Regardless of how much we like to think it, none of us reads the Bible purely. We all have our preconceived ideas, tendencies, and if we're being honest, levels of intellect. Because of this, I suggest that we have a wide range of study tools from various scholars, including, but not limited to, uh, maybe two or three different lexicons, two or three Bible versions, uh, some sermons, or maybe lectures, podcasts, or audiobooks, and possibly even a few topical books. If you have a Bible program like Lagos, Accordance, or Esword, then you probably have all of this already. If not, then there's this website called BibleHub.com. I'll put that in the... Uh, it's actually in the article. If you go to danielcrogers.substack.com, I've got this listed in the article. Uh, it's a great way for people to dive into the text. For Bible versions, what I like to do, by the way, is just pick one uh, that follows maybe the more word-to-word -word translation philosophy, and then maybe pick another that follows more of like the thought-for-thought -thought translation philosophy. And you, and you can even pick one from the Pharisee, uh, almost said the Pharisee, the, uh, the paraphrase group of translations like the message or the New Living Translation. I pick different of these to get different inputs, right? Uh, the, the NIV, for instance, is a popular thought-for-thought -thought translation, while the New American Standard Bible follows more of a word-for-word -word style. If you look up Bible translation styles in Google Images, you'll see where your translation falls. Looks kind of like a pH skill. By the way, people say that one of these styles is better than the other, but really you need a mixture because translators get stuff wrong and all translation is also interpretation. For commentaries, what I do is pick one from someone you might agree with more uh, and from someone you'd likely disagree with. If you lean more conservative, pick a liberal commentary. If you're more liberal, pick a conservative commentary. If you want to know which ones, then pick a commentary that looks like uh, you'd agree with. Find a place where they bash someone for being too much of the opposite way. Check the rating on Goodreads or Amazon and pick it up. Remember, you're looking for truth, not trying to validate what you already believe. Okay, so let's talk about uh, how to study. 
Before we do that, though, we need to spend like three minutes talking about what the Bible is. The Bible is not so much a book as it is a library. Yes, I know what you want to say. Uh, the Bible has one author, which of course it does. But if we de-emphasize the humanity of the Bible, then we miss out on a huge dimension of our sacred text. Kind of like if we de-emphasize the humanity of Jesus. While I believe there are timeless principles contained within the Bible, I also believe that the Bible is a collection of letters, poems, law, songs, and history written and composed by people to people. That is, there really was a church at Corinth, and there really was a guy at Corinth who was having an affair with his stepmom. There really was a church or a collection of churches at Galatia, and they really were super concerned about what other dudes were doing with their genitalia. Yes, I believe the Bible is inspired by God, but remembering the human element helps us to distinguish between statements that are normative and statements that are maybe more particular. That is, it lets us ask the question, is this meant to be a statement that we apply equally in every situation for all time, or should we use wisdom in determining if this was meant to address a specific situation for them at their time, and if so, what is the underlying principle we can take from this for today? This also means that we should first let the individual books function on their own before trying to find connections between them. For example, many scholars have tried to work out how the four different Gospels uh, line up. They talk about original sources like Q and where Luke may have gotten his material. Uh, Luke says that he pulled from multiple sources in Luke 1, 1 through 4. But I think it's important to remember that many of the books, especially the ones in the, our New Testaments, were written as individual letters to specific people. Letting them stand on their own first is important to treating them as objectively as possible. Some Christians, like myself, will use passages from other books to correct passages that seem difficult or challenging to us. If you don't believe me, walk into a Church of Christ and quote Romans 4, or walk into a Reformed Church and quote James chapter 2. We also need to be honest with our presuppositions. Before reading a passage, it might do you some good to jot down what you already assume about that passage. This could be a journal entry or maybe a few notes. You might also just think through the passage in your brain the best you can after briefly glancing through the text. Then pray that God will help you to hold these old views of the text lightly so that if new insights happen to come, you're already prepared to transcend beyond what doesn't seem to fit with the text while including what does. Many of the beliefs I, quote, uh, deconstructed, that, that word is uh, super helpful in my mind, but for some it's become this sort of poisoned apple. Um, before many of the beliefs that I deconstructed ended up sticking with me, uh, even, if, uh, even if I hold them differently than I once did, right? I still take communion weekly, for example. I sing without instruments. I teach baptism, even though my point of emphasis and rigidness may be different, right? So, so even though I've moved beyond a lot of the ways that I held these things, I still hold a lot of them. So you can deconstruct while reconstructing a lot of what you used to have, right? Reading the Bible as a book. Next, it's important to remember that you are reading a book, <laughs> Shocking, I know. But for some reason, people forget the skills that they were taught in third grade when they approached the Bible. Uh, when you read the Bible, you should ask the journalistic six. Who, what, when, where, why, and how. These questions will help you establish who the author is, what happened to occasion the writing, when 
it was written, where or to whom it was written, why it was written, and how might we understand it today. Other writers talk about maybe approaching the Bible like a map or a journey, where you start with trying to understand their situation, find the key principle, and apply it to your situation. Again, links are on the blog. Do not forget these questions as you sit down to study. Another thing you need to ask is, what are you reading? That is, what genre are you getting into? We don't interpret we don't interpret Revelation, which is apocalyptic prophecy, like we do Acts, which is a theological history or narrative. Instead, we use different tools to study each. While the same questions may exist, how we interact with the text might be different. While the differences may be more subtle, we might also approach Matthew differently than we would, say, Romans. For my audience, which is you, there may be a passage or two you have in mind that you'd like to disarm. What I mean by that is that there may be passages that were used by you or people you love to exclude or condemn others. It can be hard to revisit those passages, especially when the, re- when the readings are so obvious, as you might have been told. But revisiting those texts, even though it is hard, is an important step in finding your own faith. So when you're ready, this is what I would do. First, I would just read the passage within the context of the entire book or chapter. From a surface-level reading, is the old meaning as obvious as you were told it is? Take Ephesians 5.19, for instance. When you read all of Ephesians 5, does it really seem like Paul is talking about a Sunday morning assembly? Or is he talking about everyday Christian life? Is he really prescribing a way that we have to worship? Second, I would notice all of the words in that passage. How are those same words used in the context? You may have already picked up on this from the first step, but very often you realize just from watching for those similar words or themes that the author didn't have the same thing in mind that your authority figure did when they ripped that passage out of its context. Studying the word gospel in Galatians 1, for example, shows how impossible the interpretation is that one must agree to everything from fellowship halls to praise teams to acapella music in order to really believe the gospel. The good news is Jesus. That's it. Anything added to that is no longer good news. Third, I would consult a commentary or someone outside of your heritage who doesn't read the passage in that way. Without giving away too much, you might ask them to interpret or explain the passage to you. Don't do anything to raise their defenses. Just ask them to tell you how they read it because you're having trouble, which you are. You might be amazed what inviting others into your study can do for you. The Bible, after all, was meant to be interpreted in a community. While you might not need a step four, uh, you may need to go to a website, maybe like mine, or simply uh, and simply search for that passage. My friend Dallas Burdett has a whole book where he looks at old texts through new eyes. There's a link to it in that article. So I hope I gave you something to think about um, in this podcast. If you if you needed your feelings validated, hope you found that. If you wanted to know a little more about how to study the Bible, then I hope you found that. And if you'd like more, I did write a free ebook on the subject, uh, which you can download again from the article that I posted. And of course, you can always ask me questions. I'd be glad to help. So that's the article on the Substack. Uh, let me go over a few more thoughts here. Uh, one about this whole thing about uh, having some worries. Whenever we realize that everything has changed, when our, when our worldview has shifted, through a breakthrough, through a negative experience, or maybe through an overwhelming experience of love, we realize that there's implications to that, right? We realize it's like throwing a stone into a pond and there'd be a ripple that goes out and touches the edges of the bank. But we don't always know 
where the bank is, <laughs> right? We don't always know what the extent of that might be. And so going back to the text again with new eyes, yeah, it can be kind of scary because you're going, all right, what's changed here? What's new? Uh, is, 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 are these parables of Jesus going to come alive in a different way? Are these passages in Isaiah going to mean something different to me today than they did you know, six months ago or 14 years ago? Or, you know, I heard this sermon on Second John, and it made me really feel bad about my neighbors, uh, my brothers and sisters in Christ, that, that they must be teaching a different doctrine. Like, uh, do, I even, do I even want to go read that passage? You know, you have these, have these fears. And I just want you to know that's okay. Um, that's okay. What you're experiencing are the side effects of spiritual trauma, maybe, you know, spiritual abuse. And it wasn't done intentionally to you necessarily. Maybe, I guess it could have been. It wasn't done uh, with any ill will. But most likely was done from someone simply trying to do what they felt like God was calling them to do. And that stinks and that hurts. And it's our job to break that, you know, intergenerational trauma and pass on something good for the next generation, right? There's a, just another thought on that. I, I think I had something else on uh, reading versus interpreting. Yeah, the, uh, the art of just reading the Bible. You know what I mean? Just just reading through the text. Why don't we do that more? I mean, every time I open up the Bible, I feel like I have to interpret it. So I, I open up my Logos program and I've got, a, you know, lexicons on this side and a notes on that side and commentaries here and a topical books there. And it's like way overwhelming. But what that does is it is it objectifies the Bible. We're just we're just approaching it as this as this tool to use or um, as this kind of dead book that it's our job to interpret and figure out what it means instead of it being living uh, and active and God breathed, right? You can, you can still believe all of that. <laughs> that is, you know, concerning the inspiration of uh, the scripture and the guidance of God in writing the Bible and still say things like, I really have trouble with the Canaanite genocide. Or I have a problem with slavery. I mean, that's it's that's okay. That's perfectly natural. You, none of us are going to be one hundred percent consistent in reading the scripture. We're we're we try to do that, but it's okay to admit that you have problems. That doesn't take away the inspiration of scripture. Um, I mentioned a lot of these tools. Maybe I'll give you some ideas of uh, some of the commentaries and things that I like. I like the Hermeneia series. I got it on Lagos. It's a uh, Bible commentary series you can pick up. Also, like the uh, Anchor Yell Bible commentary. That's another. That's another good one. And then uh, one of my favorite commentaries on the New Testament is written by Bill and Carson, and it's called "The New Testament's Use of the Old Testament." Uh, it's invaluable. They were the editors for it, and uh, it. It shows how the New Testament uses the Old Testament and talks about what that might mean and gives you some, uh, of course, a lot of scripture references. And I just really, really appreciate that. But then another one that's really valuable is not so much a verse-by-verse -verse commentary or a subject-by-subject -subject commentary, but instead it's a background commentary. And one of the best ones out there, in my opinion, is Craig Keener's Biblical Background Commentary. It's this uh, big, yellow, thick book that takes you through the passages and what uh, the cultural background might be to those texts. There's also one to the Old Testament as well, uh, but I mainly use the one for the New Testament. 
Bible translations. Uh, I kind of float between the New American Standard, New Revised Standard, and the NIV. And then if I need to consult like a paraphrase just for fun, I'll use something like the uh, the message. Lately, I've also been using Scott McKnight's uh, the new translation called the Second Testament. And I know a lot of people really enjoy David Bentley Hart's translation of the New Testament as well. I have the first edition, thanks to my friend Jesse, uh, but he just released, I think, a second edition of it not too long ago. And you might you might try to pick that up. All right. Okay, uh, there's you some ideas on how to study the scripture. That was a question left on the discussion board. And if you'd like to participate in that, just go to Facebook and send an invite. Uh, this one fell on there. He sent an invitation to <laughs> request to join that group like nine weeks ago. Uh, but for some reason, the uh, the notification got lost and I just saw it. So I'm really sorry about that. But most people get accepted within like a day or so. So just go on there and suggest uh, that you want to join that. And we'll click answer the questions and I'll click through and accept you. All right. Thank you all so much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful Thursday. May God bless you and all you do. Bye-bye.